Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only, to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Welcome to the show, everybody. We have been doing um, a few episodes on uh, things that we don't normally talk about. Last week, we talked about finance, which is obviously one of the core jobs that every one of us humans must do. We've also talked a little bit about tech in the last uh, little bit, fitness tech, and we talked a little bit about personal development. But it's been a bit since we've talked metabolism and weight loss. And so today's episode is going to be all about that and specifically looking at a hypothesis of mine. Now, want to be clear here and not make a mistake that we often make in health and fitness to say right off the bat, there are not many studies, if any at all. There is one that I will cover. Um, not many that I am aware of that look at this kind of approach to weight loss. And because of that, we have to look at things like this with a grain of salt. So as I speak today, uh, it's a good reminder simply to say, okay, so this is Jade's hypothesis. I certainly have plenty of clinical experience, which is a form of evidence, but not many research studies. And so if we were going to say this is going to be effective for everybody or make a blanket statement about what I'm going to talk about today being effective across the board or for most people, we're going to want to have studies on this eventually. So this is one of those things that I'm going to present to you a hypothesis, something that I have used myself, something that I have seen work in clinical practice something that we have at least one study that you probably heard me talk about before, um, but is something that you'll not want to take as, you know, the definitive truth about how this works. However, I think many of you may find this incredibly productive and intriguing. And my hypothesis is that this is one of the ways that is perhaps the best way for us to live the fat loss lifestyle while also being able to live the kind of lives that we want to live, to partake in you know, foods that may not necessarily be the healthiest, but that we enjoy, to uh, enjoy moderate amounts of alcohol, to uh, not always feel like we have to count calories constantly and work out like crazy and all of those things. So let's start this discussion 
about metabolism in general. One of the things I hope that you've learned from me, if you are a listener to this podcast, and if you're new to this podcast, we're going to cover it right now, is that the current way that the health and fitness industry looks at metabolism and weight loss is still rooted in a dysfunctional approach in my mind. And we can know this because we can look at the statistics. And the statistics show conclusively that the eat less, exercise more approach to weight loss, the calorie counting approach to weight loss, the calculator model of metabolism, while it may have some truth to it, certainly does not have a very good track record in being able to produce results for the vast majority of people. In fact, while the numbers are debated across the board, anyone who studies weight loss in general will admit that while the numbers are debatable, Success with eat less, exercise more, success with calorie counting and the calculator model of metabolism is really a 90% to 95% failure rate over the first year. Now, let's cover real quick how the science defines this. We really define in the research a loss of 10% body weight. One one thing about the research, by the way, is it doesn't often distinguish between fat loss and weight loss. So normally it's using BMI or weight loss. So success is defined as a loss of 10% or more of body weight maintained over the course of a year. This is typically how it is defined. And depending on what you look at in terms of statistics, you will see that 90 to 95% of people who attempt to lose weight either quit along the way and or lose the weight and then gain it back within the year. Now, if we extend that out to two years, we look at 95 to 97% of people end up not being able to lose the weight and or gaining the weight back. If we extend that out to three years, we see that 97 to 99% of people actually end up gaining the weight back. And there's some more bad news here. If we look at what happens to these people, some evidence suggests that as many as two-thirds of individuals who try this eat less, exercise more approach, and even if they do initially lose 10% or more of their body weight, end up gaining it back and then some which has led many of us in this industry to uh, lament that dieting in and of itself, the eat less, exercise more model in itself may be actually a contributing factor to fat gain. And it's a very depressing discussion. And if you've been following this podcast for any length of time, you know that we talk about this all of the time. In my newest book, Next Level Metabolism, we go into detail or I go into detail on this science and my approach to working around this. Now, I'm going to talk about one approach that is talked about in the book, but we're going to go into much more depth in this uh, episode uh, than I did in the book. Now, if the calculator model and the eat less, exercise more model is at worst wrong and at best incomplete, 
then what other models do we potentially have? Well, if we go back to the basics and essentially say, what is metabolism in the first place? Well, it is a sensing and responding apparatus. What's it sensing? Stress. That's what it's sensing. What is it responding to? Stress. So let's go a little bit further with this. What exactly is stress? Well, the metabolism's main job is to keep you alive long enough to reproduce. Anything that throws the metabolism out of balance or out of homeostasis is a stress. And the more extreme that stress, the more it throws that system out of balance. And the more prolonged that stress is, the more it throws the system out of balance. Now, when the system is under stress, how does it respond? So when it senses stress, first, let's talk about the kinds of stress that it can sense. And let's, when you think about this, think back to ancient man, historical man, primal man, as we were evolving as humans. What would be the major forms of stress? Well, certainly getting an infection would be, getting an injury would be, avoiding predators would be, looking out there and avoiding danger, that would be a stress. Temperature challenges would be, being exposed to temperatures that are too hot and or too cold, that would throw us out of balance. Uh, Food shortages certainly would be, and certainly we know that in the modern era, food excess can be. So we know that eating too little food is a stress, and eating too much food is a stress. Certainly too much physical activity is a stress. And we know from the modern era that too little physical activity is also a stress. But when we think about historical man, probably the number one stress that historical man encountered was the stress of starvation. And when we understand this, we can see and understand some of the response, stress response that the body uses when it confronts stress. What it tries to do when it confronts stress is conserve energy resources. For example, if you get an infection, you get sick, what happens? What does the metabolism do? Well, it ramps down motivation. It makes you tired. You essentially want to stay in bed, don't you? It's a protective mechanism. And most of your metabolic resources then are diverted to the immune system. The immune system is interesting in this way. It is one of the only systems, the other being the brain, that can shut down Uh, certain aspects of physiology to promote its own energy use, which is very smart for the immune system because by doing that, it can save our lives. If you have an infection that is a challenge to the system, the immune system can actually make other tissues more insulin resistant, making those tissues not uh, prioritize food or not be able to get food and use that extra fuel to fuel its own activities. By the way, the brain can do the same thing when under stress through uh, neurological responses. It can make uh, the body tissues more insulin resistant. And through uh, the HPA axis, the release of hormones like cortisol, it can make tissues more insulin resistant. Why would it want to do that? So that it could keep the fuel and sugar for itself. The brain and the immune system don't require insulin to get sugar into their systems. And they also tend to have a stingy effect 
and rob all the resources when needed. And so when the metabolism is under stress historically through infection, through chronic stress, through starvation, through injury, etc., one of the things it will do is divert resources and you will feel tired. So lows in energy, decreases in motivation. Certainly it can also control hunger, either decrease hunger or increase hunger. So in the in case of an infection, it might decrease hunger. In the in case of starvation stress, it might increase hunger. Usually when we think of the starvation response as it pertains to dieting, we think of increased hunger. Same goes for cravings, increased cravings, which is why I always talk about this aspect of hunger, energy, and cravings, or HEC, which I call HEC, keeping your HEC in check. When your HEC is in check, we can be relatively sure your metabolism isn't stressed out. And when your heck is not in check, we can be relatively sure that your metabolism is stressed in some way. And so this is the background, how the metabolism functions. It is a stress sensing and responding apparatus. From that standpoint, it more represents a stress barometer and a thermostat as opposed to the popular models currently of a calculator or a chemistry set. And let me focus on this just a little bit more. Why would I say stress barometer? Well, what does a barometer do? It senses pressure. What does the metabolism do? It senses the pressure of stress. What does a thermostat do? It responds and adjusts to temperature. What does the metabolism do? It responds and adjusts to stress. This is why if we're going to give the metabolism a simple analogy or simple metaphor to understand it, a barometer and thermostat is a much better way to think about metabolism than a calculator or a chemistry set. Now, why is this important? Because if we're working with the wrong models or models that are incomplete and very incomplete, it may explain why we're getting incomplete or uh, bad results. Now, is the stress barometer thermostat model 100% complete? Of course not. There's too much we don't know about metabolism. However, I believe it is a far more useful way to understand what is going on with metabolism. And that's why I present it here. So if we understand that and we understand that the metabolism is primarily responding to stress, then one of the things that we might expect is that if we did nothing else but try to lower stress through relaxing visualization, through relaxing breathing responses, through meditation and mindfulness, through any of these kinds of things, we should be able to see that this is having an impact. And actually, indeed, we do. And I'm not going to cover this science right now. I'll do it in a future episode. But we do actually have research that shows that if you simply do stress-reducing activities, you can see drops in weight. We actually have research that shows this. In fact, one study that I'm thinking about right now looked at two groups of individuals. Both groups got general 
uh, education in healthy eating. And then they were split into two. Group one actually tracked, weighed, measured, paid very close attention to calories, which we know that if you do this, if you pay very close attention, attention to calorie intake and create a calorie deficit, you will definitely lose weight. So we should expect right away that that group saw results. And indeed they did. Now the other group did not track, weigh, measure calories in any way, shape or form. They simply did mindfulness practices, visualization, breathing techniques, these kinds of things throughout the week. What was interesting about that is without them trying to control calories consciously through counting, weighing, and measuring, we wouldn't necessarily expect to see them to see any results at all, would we? But in fact, they did. This group lost weight. Now, they did not lose as much weight as the group tracking, weighing, and measuring and paying very close attention to calories, but they did lose weight surprisingly, surprisingly without paying attention to counting calories, weighing and measuring and everything else. Now imagine if we can combine the two. What that study shows and another another study that is similar shows that these practices actually work in and of themselves. Now, if that's the case, one of the things that we might want to think about, and here's the hypothesis that I'll present to you today, is that what if we could use the way we know the body responds to other forms of stress and apply that to diet and exercise. For example, we know that the body tends to do better with short-term extreme stress or longer-term very gentle stress. What it does not do well with is prolonged, chronic, extreme, or moderate stress. And you can kind of think about this almost from the exercise uh, way of looking at it. For example, we know that something like high-intensity interval training is a form of short, extreme workout. Another way of saying that is a form of short, extreme stress. And it seems like the body gets very good results from this and potentially can respond better to that kind of training for many people, perhaps not all. And we also know that there's other forms of uh, movement and exercise like prolonged walking, gentle, slow walking that you can do for very long periods of time that also don't seem to trigger as much stress. And also think about this in yourself. If you do high-intensity interval training, 10, 15, 20 minutes max, of one minute on, two minute off sprints, let's say. What will happen to hunger, energy, and cravings? For most people, hunger, energy, and cravings are going to be suppressed in the short term, isn't it? You may even feel nauseous from that workout in the short term. Now, by the same token, if you go out and walk all day very low or for three hours, let's say you just go out and walk, that also is going to probably not be as an ex- extreme on hunger, energy, and cravings versus going out and jogging, for example, or doing moderate intensity aerobic exercise for 60 to 90 minutes. So what if there was a way that we could devise a lifestyle intervention that was short and extreme in a way that the body responded to, but 
was not long-lasting enough that the body responded negatively to. And so let me bring up this one study that I talk about all the time. So you may have heard it before, but we're going to talk about it in maybe a slightly different context today. I oftentimes refer to this as the Scandinavian walking study because the study was done on a very small group of men, which limits its ability for this study to make wide ranging, sweeping sort of statements. So it was a very small study. It's also the only study of its kind that I know of. So we have to look at this study uh, with a grain of salt. But this small group of men, essentially what they did is they were given 300 calories per day. And the way the study design was done is half the group got basically whey protein as their 300 calories. And the other group got essentially um, a sugar glucose mix as their 300 calories. So there was 300 calories a day that these individuals got. They also were able to drink a uh, low sugar, no sugar um, electrolyte beverage as much as they wanted to, which did not add to their caloric uh, intake. So they were right around 300 calories per day. That's all they got for the day. And they were able to drink electrolytes. And then on top of that, they walked all day for about eight hours. So they were walking across the Scandinavian countryside for eight hours, slow, relaxing walking. This wasn't strenuous hiking. This was just out walking, walking and talking, moving throughout the day. And they did this for four days. Now, this is pretty extreme. This is essentially a fasted walking program over four days. By the way, uh, there was no difference in weight loss between the group getting whey protein and the group getting just glucose. And probably because the caloric deficit that was, was, was created was so extreme, the extra protein really made no difference. But what was interesting is after these four days, and this was only done for four days, four days of 300 calories, as much electrolyte beverage as they wanted, and all day walking. And what happened with these individuals is they lost a substantial amount of weight. And I believe the numbers were 11 pounds of fat in four days. What was also interesting, and by the way, I'm going from memory here, so these numbers may not be completely correct, so just bear with me here, but it was a substantial amount of weight loss and fat loss over this four days. And what was interesting is after the four days were over, they went back to just doing what they were doing before, went back to their regular diet and went back to their regular lifestyle. And they were tracked for another week. And what was interesting about this is that this four-day intervention caused them to keep losing weight for another three to seven days. So then they lost even more weight despite going back to their normal Uh, diet and exercise patterns after this initial four-day extreme eat less, move more type of approach. But what's even more profound about this study and what really piqued my interest is the stats that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. What happens to most people who lose weight? They gain it back or they gain back more. But this group that did not happen with. In fact, when these men were followed up with, a year later, they were still down a substantial amount of weight. So they gained some of it back, 
But if my memory serves me correctly, they were still down about four or five pounds in fat, which is striking. And in a sense, I have come to call this the reverse Thanksgiving effect. Because here in the United States, in November, when we all have Thanksgiving and that period of time from Thanksgiving through New Year's, here in America, we're, we tend to eat like crazy. And many people end up gaining the same 5 to 11 pounds in that week-long period, four to seven days normally, where they're with their family having Thanksgiving dinner. They tend to do that again over the Christmas holiday, and they oftentimes tend to do it again over the New Year's holiday. But Thanksgiving is the big one. So we all are aware of the stats that show a lot of people gain most of the weight that they gain for the year during this very short period of time we call Thanksgiving here in America. And here these men in this Scandinavian walking study had the reverse effect of Thanksgiving. They lost a ton of weight all at once, and they kept most of it off over the course of the year, whereas people going through Thanksgiving gain a bunch of weight all at once and keep most of it on over the course of the year, despite losing some. And so this tells us, in my mind, something pretty striking, and it is bolstered by my clinical experience. Sorry to break into the show, but I wanted to take a second to cover one of our sponsors and tell you all about Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. These are the grass-fed sticks that I tell you all so much about that all of my friends know I have on hand constantly. They are in my car. They are at my house. I keep them at my sister's home and my parents' house. I have these things everywhere because they are the simplest, most convenient whole foods protein supplement you can get. Almost like carrying around pure protein, low-carb protein in your pocket. They also, these Paleo Valley beef sticks, are the only the only 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef sticks on the market. They use organic spices. They are naturally fermented instead of using nitrates and nitrites that can be a problem in some of these cured meats, and they simply taste fantastic. Check out the original or the jalapeno. Those are my favorites. Please make sure you go over to paleovalley.com and visit when checking out, use the code next level for a 15% discount. Remember, our sponsors keep the show going by you giving them your patronage and spending your money on these high quality products. You actually do a few things one, you're helping to support the podcast, and two, you are helping your health, and three, you are making sure that good quality companies like Paleo Valley can be out there doing their business, changing the world, making the earth better. One of the things you may not know about this is that grass-fed organic and grass-finished beef is doing something that is so utterly important for our environment, actually helping to repopulate the topsoil. A lot of people don't know this, but our topsoil is being extremely depleted and raising animals, especially cattle, the correct way helps to get that topsoil back. This is one of the reasons why I love Paleo Valley, not to mention it tastes fantastic, but they're one of these companies like my other sponsors, Cured Nutrition and Organifi that are doing the right 
things by the environment. I really appreciate everything they do, and I hope you will check them out. Thanks so much. Paleovalley.com. Use the code NEXTLEVEL. And now, back to the show. I have certainly with myself and uh, clients many times and for many reasons done very short duration extreme extremes in calorie reduction and or exercise and seen favorable responses in the vast majority of those individuals. Now, it certainly does not work for all people, but I have seen this clinically uh, even before I read this particular study. And I have certainly used it clinically before and after this particular study. And so understanding more and more about metabolism as we all are learning and starting to see metabolism through the lens of a stress measuring and responding apparatus, this opens up the idea that we can begin using uh, some of these approaches to make a difference in body composition changes. So imagine if instead of dieting and exercising the way most people do, which is trying to attempt an eat less, exercise more approach all year long and failing miserably in doing so and falling into restrictions and then binges and weight loss and then weight gain, bouncing fat back and forth between eat less, exercise more, not being able to maintain that, going into eat more, exercise less, and ping-ponging back and forth like this, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, all the while gaining a little bit more each time and getting fatter and fatter. This is the typical way that most people uh, are, are experience weight loss uh, approaches. What if instead we said something more along the lines of every quarter, every three months, we're going to do an extreme restriction in calories and walking the way that this Scandinavian study was done, where we're going to cut calories very low, we're going to ramp up our movement, and we're going to do it for a very short period of time of maybe two to four days and lose the weight, a substantial amount of weight during that time, and then go back to a normal diet and hopefully get some of this afterburn effect that the group of guys in this study got. And then by the end of the year, have what we would call four different reverse Thanksgiving effects. And of course, you could even time this around the times of Thanksgiving. For example, maybe you do the first one four-day extreme, January 1st. And then you do another one, April 1st. And then you do another one in July. And then you do another one in October. And then the rest of the time, you're living your life. So what would something like this look like? Well, let's go through the way I typically do this with myself and how I have used this with my clients. And, uh, done retreats in this way. Essentially, people come in to uh, a center that I essentially lead. We give them essentially not 300 calories. We do a little bit more. It's about 800 calories in whey protein shake. So you can imagine a whey protein shake in the morning that contains about, you know, uh, 
250 calories to 300 calories. Another weight, another whey protein shake in for lunch and another whey protein shake for dinner. So you're getting about 200 to 250 calories from each protein shake. Typically, this is a mixed meal replacement that provides about 30 grams of protein, about 20 grams of total carbohydrate, and about 5 grams of fat. This could be any type of protein shake. There's no magic in the protein shake. And then we typically allow uh, people who want to munch to munch on things like celery, carrots, things like that. Actually, not carrots, but celery, peppers, you know, basically water-based vegetables that don't contain a whole lot of calories if they need that. And then the protocol works a lot like this, a four-mile walk that takes about two hours that basically gives you about 10, close to 10,000 steps that is then repeated in the afternoon. And that is then again, repeated in the, uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's done in the morning. It's repeated in the early, in the late morning. It's repeated in the early afternoon. And then it's repeated in the evening. And you do anywhere from two to four of these, uh, walking approaches. Now, the reason I say two to four is because one of the things when you're walking extremely like this, and it's not fast walking, it's not power walking. This is just slow walking as if you'd be walking through the mall or walking, drinking coffee or walking your dog or walking and having a relaxing conversation with somebody. But with this amount of walking, for most people, this can, especially if people who are heavy set need to lose a lot of weight, it can be tough on the feet, on the knees, on the joints. It is an extreme type of movement. So oftentimes we will use um, stationary bikes uh, and or sometimes now we have these uh, pedal assist bikes that allow you to um, be able to just keep moving and even passive forms of doing this where sauna therapy. So there are different ways to do it. And you'll see that some people can do all of the walks. Some people do one and then some sauna and then a bike and then maybe another walk. And there's all different ways to do it in between. But the point is you're essentially having either a passive exercise movement session like sauna and or contrast hydrotherapy, slow walking and or very slow rowing and or very slow stationary or biking or assisted bike. And so the point of that is to realize that it does not have to be walking because walking of that kind of intensity can be tough on some people's joints, especially if they're not used to it. And so then that is repeated over four days. Typically, it starts on a Friday or Thursday, rather, then Friday, then Saturday and Sunday, like a long weekend vacation. And then the protocol is done and people go back um, to what they're doing. Also, there is the option uh, with the three protein shakes. Some people I've seen just do one. I certainly have done that myself and fasted. Uh, there certainly have been a few people that kind of do it crazy and, and will you know, just water fast or just use the electrolyte beverage for one, two days or so. But the idea here is that there's no, there's no magic here other than getting water in and electrolytes in, using very low calories, less than I would say 800, probably the sweet spot, less than 800, somewhere between 300 and 
800. And by the way, if you're hearing noise in the background, there is uh, paving going on and construction going on in my uh, parking lot right outside my door right now. So I apologize about that. But the idea here is, is that a lot of people will get caught up and say, well, Jade, what was the protein shake or what is the electrolyte beverage? And by the way, the protein shake I use is uh, Isogenics really is the one I typically use as well as my company's uh, Metabolic Super Protein um, by Metabolic.com, my company. So I've used uh, Isogenics in the past, Metabolic Super Protein, but any will work. Don't get too caught up on that. And if, you're, if you want to know the electrolyte beverage I use, I use Element Element Electrolytes. You guys hear about that all the time. It's one of the sponsors. They are one of the sponsors to the podcast. Love it because it has plenty of sodium, has potassium, has magnesium, and stevia as the sweetener. And so you don't get a lot of the sugar involved. And so you don't want to get too hung up on this. You just want to keep those calories relatively low and you want your output in movement to be really high. Now, of course, there is no exercise, intense exercise, intense uh, high-intensity interval training or weight training or any of that kind of stuff involved here. The reason why is because to get the amount of movement, it's really about total movement. And so we want consistent movement, constant movement as much as possible throughout the day when you're doing this. And the results that you see are every bit as dramatic as the study I outlined for you. Anywhere from 5 to 15 pounds of fat loss in this amount of time for people. And certainly, and what I'm talking about here is uh, primarily fat loss. You will see up to 20 pounds of weight loss in terms of shedding water. This is a huge amount of uh, reduction in body composition for people with huge amounts of calorie output. And this is extreme and it is not something that you want to do for a long period of time. And it is something that many people um, aren't able to complete, which is why you want to have many options for yourself. Not just walking, but stationary biking to be gentle on your joints. I have a rower here as well that people can use and have used and that I use and that I also will uh, have seen people use um, pedal assist bikes, which are wonderful because you can be outside, you can be in green settings, you can be in the park, but these pedal assist bikes make it so that when you're going up hills and all those kinds of things, uh, you have essentially a motor, pedal assist or motor assist, bike that assists the pedaling, but you are still moving. So this is really about uh, moving here. And the results are pretty phenomenal. Now, does everyone uh, lose the weight? Not everyone. So let's talk about, or does everyone maintain the weight loss rather? Uh, There are always differences, as we know. Some people lose more or less during this regime. And for some individuals, it can be more or less beneficial. We are all different. But one of the big mistakes that people make is that most of us, as we're living our lifestyle, whatever lifestyle we're living near now, we are weight stable. Most of us are not losing weight, but we're not gaining a ton of weight either. We're weight stable. So the idea is that what many people will do is give themselves psychological license to go and eat like crazy after this four-day event. That is a big mistake. The idea is to get yourself in a good maintenance mode, and this works best for people who are weight-stable, 
living a life that is weight stable, that is not causing them to gain or lose weight. They come into this four-day event or this four-day process, and then they go back to their old lifestyle. And what oftentimes happens for some people even, they just end up moving way more than they were moving before because that four days becomes a little bit of a habit and kicks off more of a movement lifestyle. The idea though is not to go to extremes, not to try to overeat and not to try to undereat. This is what people will tend to do. Oh, I got some results, so let me try to keep being extreme about it. That causes the stress on the metabolism to be prolonged and it doesn't respond as well. Or they go, oh, I did this great job. Let me go eat a bunch of stuff. And that just also perpetuates stress, even though it's a different type of stress. And so doing this approach is very short, I would say two to four days max, very extreme. And then when you come back into your lifestyle, you need to come back into the lifestyle you were living and not try to overeat like crazy or or continue to undereat. And this is how you will get the best results. And so this is something to begin to try. And my hypothesis is that this is a far better approach than the way most people are doing this. And one of the things I'm going to be doing is opening up my, uh, my house here in Asheville to events where I am going to be walking you all through this. Uh, Either you doing it by yourself, coming and staying in my home almost like an Airbnb, and or coming to an event that I lead. And so this is something that I am going to begin doing as a way to do my own study on this. Since this study has not been repeated, what I'm going to do is be bringing in individuals and begin testing this response to see if it is as powerful as I believe it to be. And of course, only testing it will tell us. And so this is something that I will be doing here soon. So if this has piqued your interest, uh, one of the things you can do is simply go to uh, jadetita.com, get on my email list. If you follow me on Instagram, go to my profile. You should be able to get on my, my email list there. I will be announcing very soon, uh, this new approach that I'm going to be using. I don't typically see people in clinic anymore, but I am going to be bringing my clinic in a group setting to individuals who come in for these events and or do the protocols, come into my house while I'm traveling and do the protocols uh, since I have the whole setup here. So if you're interested in that, make sure you get on my email list so that you can be one of the first people to learn about it. This is going to be very small groups, groups of 10 individuals probably at a time going through this process together. The first one that I'm going to do in this new format is probably going to be sometime at the end of October, early November of this year. Uh, If that is not the case, it will likely be in spring of next year. But this is something that you certainly can try uh, on your own. And it is something that might be uh, profoundly impactful uh, for you. And so I'm going to end the uh, podcast there today. I hope this gave you a little bit more background 
on the way the metabolism may be coping with stress and uh, the way that we may, may be able to start using very short extremes uh, in diet and exercise as a way to begin to have this reverse Thanksgiving effect and get real results rather than this back and forth that many people do. Now, of course, there are many, many ways to skin this cat. So don't make the mistake of going, oh my God, this is the only way. This is for some reason we humans want to do this. There are many, many ways, and this is not going to be for all people. I think this is going to be best for individuals who want a jump start, who have been struggling, who are not uh, you know, people who are uh, you know, profound exercisers and that kind of thing, who have busy lives, who are weight stable but have some weight to lose, but can dedicate two to four days every three months to this type of approach and then can also be sure that they go back to a diet that is not in excess but just maintains. And in this way, you have a three-month Three months, you lose some weight, you maintain it over the next three months, you repeat, you lose a little more, you maintain it over the next three months, you lose it, lose a little more. And at the end of the year, you're down a substantial amount of body weight and body fat. That is the goal here. Now, again, this is not for everyone. However, you will know if this is good for you. And when I begin to talk more about this through my to my email list and uh on my Instagram page and things like that, that's where you can get more of those uh, details. But just real quick, again, here are the people that this is likely to be really good for. Very busy people who are have not responded to the gentle diets of making gentle changes, who are very busy, who are not who are uh, not gaining weight or losing weight, but are who are weight stable and have the ability to carve out two to four days on a weekend where they can devote their, themselves to this walking protocol and this low-calorie combination for a short period of time and then go back to a regular diet and not overconsume after that. These are the people that this is going to be best for. All right, I'm going to end right there. I hope this was interesting to all of you, and I will see you at the next podcast.